so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. this episode of the ERLC podcast. We're excited to premiere for you today a new format for the podcast where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and along with me today are my co-host, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everyone. And Brent Leatherwood. Howdy, y'all. And in a few minutes, we'll be talking to a special guest, uh, Amy Whitfield from the Southern Baptist Convention's Executive Committee. But before we get to that, we're relaunching this podcast with a new format. So I wanted to take a minute and tell you how this is going to work week to week. So the first thing that we're going to do is every week we'll be talking about what is going on at ERLC. Lindsay is the managing editor of ERLC.com, and she is the traffic cop that controls all the content that gets posted on our website. So she's going to give you a rundown of what we're talking about and why. And then after that section, we're going to talk about what's going on in the culture. The focus of this new format is going to be to talk about what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. And so Brent is going to take the lead in talking to us every week about what is going on in our culture, what things we should be paying attention to, and why it matters. It'll be a lot of really important things, some light and fun conversation as well. And it'll be something that I think you're really going to enjoy. So Lindsay, so that we can get started, what is the ERC talking about this week? So to start, we've got a piece by Casey Huff uh, dealing with acts of anti-Semitism that we've seen lately in our culture, and he calls us to counter those acts of hatred with radical hospitality. So, yeah, there's been a massive uptick in anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic attacks specifically happening uh, in New York, but really you see this especially in terms of the, the vitriol and anti-Semitic like, language that's being used online. And so Casey, who writes, you know, three-fourths of the things we publish at ERLC.com, <laughs> wrote this really great article on uh, countering anti-Semitism that I would encourage you to check out. Right. And Casey isn't just an academic writer. He approaches it with the heart of a pastor. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I think is really helpful. And he specifically says, Christians are called to counter this kind of hatred that has been popping up uh, in our culture. And so... Uh, he gives some really helpful ways uh, to do that, but again, lays the foundation for why we are supposed to do that. We'll have another piece next week as well, calling evangelicals specifically to speak out against this, that we cannot be silent. So moving on to another piece we've got from our very own Jason Thacker, creative director. And you know, the new year gives us a chance to take a fresh look at different issues that our culture is facing. And everybody loves to put out these four things you should look out for, six things you should be watching for. Yeah, and we call them listicles. Listicles. Right. But you guys tease me for these titles that we come up with, but listicles are what people are looking for on Twitter. Well, so what are the four things? Let's talk about. 
threat. Well, I didn't even tell the audience that there are four things that we're looking for. Oh, well, for. here we go. Okay. So four technology issues to watch out for in 2020. And so just to peek into those, ongoing privacy debates and possible legislation, dealing with technology and privacy, ethics and artificial intelligence, deep fakes and fake news, and international authoritarian abuses. Yeah. We're not going to tell you what those are because you have to go online and Well, read and the unlike those other listicles that might be appearing out there, when Jason says it's coming, you could take it to the bank. And that third one, I want to point out, uh, because you uh, you said it was one of those, the deep fakes and fake news. Uh, that's something that all of us as thoughtful Christians should be on the lookout for in 2020 uh, because of the political uh, context that we are entering into that's in absolutely. the United States. And so technology is playing more and more of a role uh, in our campaigns and in political life. And that just means that we are more susceptible to things like deep fakes and fake news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with what deep fakes are, uh, this is something that you need to be aware of because uh, the the idea of taking a person and then put literally putting words in their mouth and making it by by all appearances seem that they are saying things they're not saying mm-hmm. is going to be a, a really dangerous weapon, especially as Brent mentioned uh, in the political context and any I mean any number of applications for this. It's something that Christians are going to need to think about. There's certainly going to be uh, legislation uh, coming. And a lot of social media companies are already looking at what they can do to regulate these things. So it's definitely something to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Very true. So go online and check out that article. And then to wrap up things, so this Sunday, many Southern Baptist churches will be recognizing Sanctity of Life Sunday, recognizing the sanctity of life from womb to tomb, as many of our friends like to say, and as we champion for here at the ERLC. We've got a piece up by our very own, again, Jen Kintner. Uh, She's got some question and answers about foster care with a family that does foster care. So it's a it's an inside look into what foster care looks like in a family. Mm. Uh, and so the challenges and the and the problems are specific and unique to this family, but still just if you're someone who's considering foster care, we would like to recommend this article to you. One of the other exciting things we have going on this week is uh, Dr. Moore on his Signpost podcast uh, has Bible scholar uh, N.T. Wright on the podcast. Uh, N.T. Wright has a new book that he's published with Michael Bird called The New Testament in Its World, An Introduction to the History, Literature, and Theology of the First Christians. I was there when that podcast was taped, and it was just a fascinating conversation. So I really want to encourage you to go and check that out. I was, you might want to check out the book. It is a massive work uh, exploring the New Testament. Also, this week, uh, in kind of moving us into our culture section, one of the things you'll find on our website is an article by Brian Bays, who who's a philosophy professor at Boyce College up in Louisville, and he was writing about uh, the death of Roger Scruton. Roger Scruton uh, was a British statesman and philosopher. He passed away this Sunday after a battle with cancer, and uh, at our website— Brian wrote about four ways that Roger Scruton's life uh, and thought has shaped him, and he also has an obituary up today at TGC on reflecting on Roger Scruton. There was one thing from that article that I thought was just really, really great. So uh, Roger Scruton was known as a conservative philosopher, and so Brian writes this uh, in his piece at ERLC.com. He says, The conservative tradition holds the mantle of belief that conservatism is at first a disposition before it is a political or economic program. It conserves the best of what we've had and rejects notions of progress separated from the good, true, and beauty of the past. Scruton taught me a conservative was first and foremost a lover, as Augustine did. To see the good and even the worst of scenarios and change requires taking the worst of the present and making the best of it. That was a really powerful uh, reflection that he had on, on our website. I would encourage you to check that out. And 
speaking of culture, Brent, what is what are things that the ERLC is paying attention to this week in the world of culture? Yeah, well, certainly Sir Roger Scruton's death is one of those, and Brian's piece was very powerful. There's been a number of pieces marking his death, and I think he was noteworthy because in his time, he was very clear-eyed about the threats of uh, communism and autocratic regimes. And uh, so there's a lot of good pieces about his life and legacy. And at the same time, you know, so now we're talking about culture. So this this portion of our podcast is kind of designed to be uh, what's that section on Jeopardy, the kind of potpourri section uh, where we pull from different elements of conversations that we've been having this week. So right here locally in Tennessee, uh, earlier this week, uh, a landmark piece of legislation was passed that will protect the conscience rights of uh, faith-based organizations in the adoption and foster care space. And the ERLC leaned in really heavily uh, to make sure that that bill passed. And so we were excited about that. That's a policy win at the state level. So while a lot of folks, their attention is on Washington and the gridlock that's there at the state level in a number of different states, there's some really good policies that are being passed. And he won't say it, but our very own Brent Leatherwood was um, instrumental in getting that passed using his giftings, abilities, his past experience. So we're thankful that the Lord has brought him to our team. Yeah, yeah. it was a huge win for religious liberty and a huge win, uh, even more importantly, for child welfare in Tennessee. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a great moment and a great team win for all of us. Uh, before that, we were also talking about the Democratic debate uh, that happened this week. Uh, this was the final time that the Democratic candidates for President of the United States in their primary, uh, this was basically the final time that they were going to appear on stage in a live televised uh, event before the Iowa caucuses. So this was really their final impression uh, in front of all of the voters in Iowa. That's a big moment in our culture because nobody really knows how the Iowa caucuses are going to turn out yet. That's right. We've seen polls that have really shown us totally mixed signals about the top four and what we're expecting to happen in Iowa in just a couple of weeks. Brent, what were, your, what were your initial impressions of the debate? Uh, I was surprised how, uh, honestly, low energy the event was. Uh, a lot of folks expected some fireworks because, again, it's that final impression before caucus goers in Iowa uh, get to go and register uh, their preference. And it actually was was fairly low key compared to previous debates, which was interesting because there were fewer people participating. Thank you for that rundown, because I must confess I was watching The Office. Yeah. And honestly, probably that episode of The Office was more entertaining than probably. what we saw uh, on the stage. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> from <laughs> Iowa City. Uh, after that, so that's on the political side. On the official side, yesterday, so before we take this, uh, the official ceremony of passing the articles of impeachment from the House side over to the Senate side took place. And that is a moment, regardless of how you feel about uh, in the impeachment process, that's just a historic moment that uh, folks are going to be looking at 50, 100 years from mm -hmm. now. So uh, after that... Um, Yuval Levin in The Dispatch, uh, a conservative outlet that started up for this year, he put out a great piece that I think is really helpful for all of us uh, in this, this confusing and chaotic uh, cultural moment that we live in. As a matter of fact, anytime uh, Yuval puts his thoughts down, I would recommend it uh, being read by all of us. But just a quick line that I pulled out that I thought was relevant. So he he uh, touched on some different examples of just kind of how chaotic and everybody uses apocalyptic language now uh, in our political moment. And he said, but most of the time, this rhetoric of cataclysm isn't even deployed in the service 
of particular policy priorities. It's simply a way of talking about the danger posed by the other party. So, you know, we've, we're in this moment where nobody can see uh, working with the other side. Instead, they see them as a threat to be destroyed and completely excised out of the public square. That's not good for the democratic republic we live in. Well, it's interesting that you mention that because our latest edition of Light Magazine deals with civility and kindness across party lines because we're living in a day and age where if you spend any time on Twitter, which probably most of America does not, but we do with our work, and there is just a lot of vitriol, there is a lot of disagreement, but nobody can disagree without getting along and nobody can disagree with kindness and civility. So, You can go actually to our website, erlc.com backslash light, and you can view our magazine, all the magazines, but the latest issue as well. It's called Why Can't We Get Along? The cover is a bunch of emojis, which is pretty awesome. It looks great. Um, And just talks about Christian kindness in a divided age. So I would recommend checking that out. Yeah. And you know who else doesn't want to get along? The other baseball teams not named the Houston Astros. That's right, man. What a thing. What a segue, Brent. So this week in Major League Baseball, uh, the penalty for the cheating scandal uh, that has engulfed the Houston Astros franchise was handed down. We've got a couple of Houston fans uh, on our staff that, um, you know, they were doing what they needed to do, which is just carry the flag forward, even amidst this overwhelming evidence that showed the Houston Astros uh, cheated. And so their general manager and manager uh, both have to serve year bans in Major League Baseball. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it's really kind of stunning. And I know that the Astros fans uh, on our staff are still kind of reeling from this news and not really knowing, uh, you know, how even the next year of baseball is going to go uh, for, for that franchise. And did- it's worth mentioning that uh, it was also shown that Boston uh, had employed similar tactics to gain an advantage over their opponents, and their manager was promptly fired. Remind me, what did they do to cheat? <laughs> it was it was a very complicated uh, system that they worked out where they videotaped the signs that the catcher was putting down for the pitcher and then knocked on a trash can from the dugout to alert the batter as to what pitch was coming. Interesting. Yes. Really sophisticated, huh. you know, cutting edge, state of the art kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. state of the but art. In baseball, look, baseball has a long tradition of trying to steal the other team's signs. We actually talked about this uh, uh, in our office some. Um, um, but that said, when you use technology, you gain a significant advantage over your opponents. And that scene is just a bit too far beyond the pale. Wait, how did they figure that out that they were cheating? How'd that come to light? Uh, one of the previous players who was traded actually discussed oh. that, uh, sophisticated <laughs> program of videotaping and then, uh, you know, hitting the trash can. Oh, so yeah, that's, okay. that's how it came nice. out. Maybe they just wanted to be involved in stomp. Maybe, maybe, but probably don't be involved in stomp <laughs> while you're engaged on the field of play in Major League yes, Baseball. I know, cheating is not funny. And one more thing just to kind of round out this talk on the culture is that uh, if, you know, not to plug the dispatch again, but David French uh, recently posted at the dispatch.com a piece, which was a rundown on the story of religious freedom and a culture war in the United States. The title of the piece was Liberty Gained and Power Lost. I would really encourage you to check that out. I mean, David French is a solid evangelical who is working in the uh, intersection of politics and culture and also Christianity. And so uh, this piece was powerful and, you know, it's a, it's a great read. So that's your look at This Week in Our Culture. 
So Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're serving in ministry right now. All right. I am uh, living in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I work for the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is based in Nashville, but I work remotely and do some traveling and uh, spend a lot of time in the airport and then work from home some. And I'm the associate vice president for convention communications. So I've been doing that since October of 2019. So Amy, we're excited to have you in this new role. It's a new season for you. So what's one thing that God is teaching you in this season? One thing that God is teaching me is, and really it's both in my work and in my life at uh, at home with my family, is just to be patient, to to be able to not be anxious about things. I have two teenagers in my house, so there's a lot of reason for um, worry or concern <laughs> yes. if I let it. And then just in the communications world, but then also in ministry, there are so many unpredictable things and you wake up every day and don't really know what you're going to face. And so God is teaching me to rely on Him, to trust Him, to breathe, and to not feel like everything, you know, depends on me, that I'm part of a team, that we all work together uh, for the same goal. And that's been that's been really a good, good thing, particularly the last few months. And that's really good. And um, we, like Lindsay said, we really are excited to have you in this new role and to see everything that is going on with the uh, executive committee right now. Uh, we were talking just before we got started about the fact that you are right now in an airport as you've been traveling for work and doing a site yes. visit. Um, so if anybody hears that, that's what some of that background noise is. Uh, one of the big focuses uh, on this podcast is just the area of culture. And so one of the questions we wanted to ask uh, our guests is uh, what things from the culture are the people around you? What, what things are you paying attention to? To and what are people around you paying attention to right now? Oh well, certainly we're uh, paying attention as we as we look for stories that we're telling. I do a lot in the area of uh, SBC Life, which is a news source that we run in addition to Baptist Press, where we're doing feature stories and things. We're certainly paying attention to how churches are responding to some of the big cultural questions of the day. Obviously, I know when we're recording this, Sanctity of Life Sunday is coming up. So we've been seeing stories of churches and how they are dealing with this issue in their communities, how they are really pushing back against the darkness. Um, But one thing that we're trying to do is find where churches and ministry leaders and people are on mission in their communities and are reaching the nations, because this is a time when it seems like a lot of people have angst, things feel, you know, divisive right now, things feel just so difficult in our country and in our world, but we want to show those kind of spots of hope where uh, churches are really reaching the people around them with the gospel. And so that's kind of the, the, the thing we're looking for. That's so helpful in our, like you said, in our divided age filled with angst and turmoil. One area where we've seen angst and turmoil is in the discussion uh, about women and the church and ministry, um, the larger culture. You know, with Twitter, we've got the Me Too movement right. um, that we're coming out of. And uh, so as a leading female voice in SBC Life, one that we value and is such an asset to us, what are some things that are encouraging you right now? You know, the thing that is encouraging me the most is seeing women get involved as they are at every level. I mean, just seeing more women being involved in their churches and folks coming in 
in the area of ministry to women, more women coming on staff to reach other women in their churches and communities, women getting involved at the state level. I'm seeing so many on committees and and uh, really bringing their gifts and expertise to help kind of our shared cooperative mission. And then at the convention level, I'm just encountering so many who want to be engaged in our processes and are finding each other and building friendships and support. And it's great to see some of the doors opening for that participation. You know, this position that I've started in was really made possible because Dr. Floyd saw the need to have someone as uh, a women's liaison in addition to coming and helping with communications. And so really leaders seeing the, the gifts that women bring to the table, the perspective that women bring, but also women wanting to show up and be a part uh, has been a very, very encouraging thing for me the last year. Absolutely. Uh, and honestly, it has been encouraging just to see, even at the convention last summer, the number of prominent female voices and female leaders in the SBC. And so that's definitely something that's encouraging to us as well. Uh, one final question for you. You're a veteran podcaster. You and Jonathan Howell have been uh, hosting SBC this week uh, for years now. And so yeah. I guess, you know, a two-part question. One, how have you, uh, you know, gotten yourself to put up with Jonathan Howell so long? And then, <laughs> uh and then secondly, and just kidding, Jonathan Howe is a great friend. Yes. Uh, but really, I mean, how did you get into podcasting and why did you choose to focus on the Southern Baptist Convention? You know, I didn't really know a lot about podcasting when we started. I had a few that I listened to some, but it was something that Jonathan and the folks at Lifeway were really breaking some ground on in the ministry uh, landscape. And Jonathan actually came to me with the idea because we and a few of our friends were always tracking trends that were happening in the SBC, just watching what was going on among our churches. And we were always talking about it. And he said, I wonder if people would be interested in a podcast about this. And we really did not know what we were doing or if maybe it would be us and our five listeners. But as uh, as we've said a lot of times, we really just had we just decided to keep having the conversations we'd always been having, but let's turn a microphone on. And we were surprised by how many people, they wanted to hear about it. They wanted to know what was going on. So we just kind of got started and learned as we went. Um, I've long been an SBC nerd. You know, I've been in denominational work. That's been my whole career for about 20 years now. And uh, so we just decided to see if other folks might be interested in tracking the same things we were and it turned out they were um but it's it's kind of incredible we're i think hitting around 250 episodes now um and there's still plenty to talk about there sure is and uh it's a fantastic podcast i've been listening to it uh for a long time now and have just really enjoyed the fact that you take news from around the sbc and uh make it accessible to people who otherwise wouldn't be aware of a, a lot of the things that are going on inside the southern Baptist convention so we uh, you know we really enjoy the podcast and have you know hope to see it continue on far into the future thank you So that was a great conversation. One of the very best things about working here at the ERLC in downtown Nashville are the conversations that we get to share with one another every day. 
most of those conversations typically happen in the lunchroom where we sit down at the table and just bring things that have been on our minds. And so the discussions that we have are always fascinating and wide ranging. And so each week we're just going to have a, a brief section where each one of us will tell you what's been on our minds, like one thing that we can't stop thinking about. So Brent, why don't you go first? Yeah. So mine is one thing that I just can't get out of my head is a Dartmouth University professor uh, did a study of uh, various countries, 132 different countries, and he found that the most miserable age where where unhappiness peaks is 47.2 years old. Now, thankfully, I've got a few years before I get there, but I'm not looking forward to that after reading this study. And you are the closest. I'm the closest in this room. Right. Yes, I yeah. saw this. So just and to clarify, it made me nervous for my husband. He's 41. I was like, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" Oh, in good. Six so years? he's going to go before, go ahead of yeah, me and I'll to tell, tell you me what whether it is what this gentleman called the doldrums of middle age. Exactly. Wow. I, well, but you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. So yeah, it's 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 what this guy, uh, what this gentleman calls the doldrums of middle age. And you're exactly right. It doesn't have to be that way. And as a matter of fact. When I look around at a lot of people who are nearing that age, at that age, or just out past that age, uh, they're doing some really phenomenal things. And so, uh, thankfully, we don't have to go into that darkness. <laughs> it's so true. Well, actually, for my one thing, may have something to do with this unhappiness study. So I'm mentioning David French again. He had an article up called, It's Not Good That Man Should Be Alone. And I just want to read uh, read a paragraph from this. Life can't get too busy to obey God. And while the verse in Genesis that titles this piece refers to Adam and Eve, it still speaks the truth beyond husband and wife. It speaks to the truth of friendship and community. It is not good for a man to be alone. And it talks about how men uh, spend a lot of time alone. Uh, and he he gives us a little, little anecdote from a conversation he was having, finding out that a bunch of these guys he was talking to were going to spend Christmas or the holidays alone. So it's just an emphasis on community. And um, it's true in, in the Christian life specifically, uh, we are made to be in community. We're not made to live in isolation. And what are we doing to help others uh, the lonely and those who are vulnerable um, live in community. So it's just a challenge really to me. And um, that's one of our main things at the URLC is trying to equip Christians and equip churches uh, to help people succeed as they're living the Christian life. And one of the most important things for every Christian is to live a life that is in community, a life that is not alone. And so whether you're talking about that in the context of relationships or uh, just in the context of the church, uh, that's that's an important thing for us to be thinking about. My one thing this week is just a resource for you. So one of the things that I a habit I developed a long time ago is to pair my devotional time in the mornings when I'm reading my Bible and praying uh, with some kind of devotion-like resource. And so uh, just this week, I finished reading a, a tiny book called Sola, How the Five Solas Are Still Reforming the Church. It was a resource that was put together by our friends at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and uh, their president, Jason Allen, uh, Owen Strand, Jared Wilson, and several others contributed to that volume. And those chapters are just really short, but I spent the last week thinking as I was reading about this, about the Reformation, about what it cost Christians to stand up uh, for the truths and the essential truths of the Christian faith. And so uh, if you've never read it, I would encourage you to check that out, but I found it to be really, really helpful. Yeah, so Helpful resources. Yeah. So as we close every episode, we're going to leave you with an ERLC resource. And so, Lindsay, what is our ERLC resource this week? So this is from our 2018 National Conference. Sam Alberry gave a talk that 
goes along with the David French article that Love I recommended. Sam yes, he is great and a friend of the ERLC. It's called The Church is the Family of God, Singleness, Same-Sex Attraction, and the Hope of Hospitality, and just speaks to our need for community. We hope you enjoyed that clip of Sam's talk. And we just want to say before we sign off, thanks for listening. You can find links to all the things we talked about in the show notes today. And we'll be back in your feed next week with more content. I spoke to a, a pastor here in the States a, a few months ago. He was challenging me about my, my belief in traditional Christian sexual ethics. And he said, you are forcing same-sex attracted Christians to live a life without love. And I thought about it for a moment, and I said to him, if you have to be in a romantic relationship or married to experience love in your church, then your church stinks. Paul in 1 Timothy 3 describes the church in verse 15 in two ways. He calls it the household of God, And he calls it a pillar and buttress of the truth. It's a pillar and a buttress of the truth because the church, the local church, is God's outlet for his truth in the world. It holds up the truth to a world that desperately needs it. But it's also the household or family of God. And I want to suggest we will not be an effective pillar and buttress of the truth if we are not being an effective family. It is not just our preached message that is going to have an impact on the world, it is going to be the kind of people that we are, the kind of relationships that we have. If we really are the family of God, that will demonstrate and visualize hope to a world that is increasingly dying of loneliness. We will embody that hundredfold promise we will be an undeniable example of the fact that following Jesus, even in this life, is always worth it. May God bless you.